Amen. Thank you, hometown band. I always love hearing y'all worship because I know your hearts and I know that you mean it. Good morning. Good morning. All right, I like it. Uh, my name is Timothy Roundtree. I'm the lead pastor here at Trinity Church, and as always, it's an honor to get to stand before you. Um, it's it's it's. I never take for granted the fact that I get to, to preach the gospel of Christ to people that I love. That's not always true um, uh, for everyone that gets to teach and preach. You, that's the goal, right, is to always be in front of people that you know their heart, you know their families, and you know where they're at. Uh, but this day and age, that's not always a truth. But for Trinity Church, I get to stand before people that I love, that I care about, that I want to walk alongside with and, and, and dive into Scripture. And I'm always thankful for that. I never take for granted the fact um, that we've been given just the opportunity to proclaim truth in Oak Cliff every Sunday. Um, and we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, this is the same passage we were in last week, and we'll be in it again next week. We are, uh, we're studying this passage, this passage very similar to the way we, we, we studied the Lord's Prayer. Um, last week we actually started uh, the book of Hebrews, and we're going to work through the book of Hebrews in its entirety. We're going to start with the first word, end with the last word. We're going to exegetically work through Scripture uh, and work through Hebrews and just dive in. But this specific passage, we're going to read the entire passage for the next, last Sunday, this Sunday, and the next, because it was meant to be read as one fluid passage. But then just for time's sake, we're pulling out each individual verse. So um, last week we, we went one and two. To th this week we will do verse three, and the next week we will land on verse four. But we're going to read it here in a second corporately as, as a passage because it, it's a beautiful work. It's one of the more romantic written passages in Scripture. It's full of theology, full of doctrine, and it's the foundational truths of which we stand. Um, I'm really excited this time of year. I kind of went into it last uh, last Sunday about how the fall for me is is the equivalent of like January 1. You get a restart in your year of uh, rhythms. I've been out of school for a long time, um, but I still go, and we all still kind of psychologically go with the rhythms of school, whether you have kids or you're in school fall is a new beginning. That's when uh, new shows start up. That's when new uh, uh, work uh, uh, projects can start up. For the church, it's when we dive back into our ministry. So we push pause on uh, a lot of our ministries during the summer just to give the people of Trinity Church um, some much-needed rest, relaxation. Um, but this week, we started up our, our family group ministry. And I want to really encourage you for a second that if you're not a part of the family group ministry to dive in, it's one of my favorite ministries that we offer because it's raw and it's real and it's needed. So it's easy um, to put your base, your best face on and your best foot forward on Sunday morning at 10 because psychologically it's ingrained in us that we, we put our best clothes on, we put our best uh, face on, and we just, whether we're in a good place or not, we're going to be happy for the next hour and a half. No matter how raw your church is or how, how down uh, to the ground y'all are or how small you are, no matter what, I'm, I'm, I've asked everyone how they're doing, everyone's doing great. Great. Everyone told me great. There's no way you're all doing great. And if so, okay, cool. Um, but I feel like a lot of that is like that's just what you do at church. But for family groups, we get into the middle of the week. We get into the life of, of what you're doing. We get into the homes of the believers. And then we break bread and we go over scripture. And there's some truth there. There's, there it's easier for me to see how you're actually doing on a Wednesday at 7 than it is for a Sunday at 10. And that's why I love that ministry. Um, we kicked off this week. I love uh, 
my family group. Um, I, it, it's just a really good, warm place. I also love Cane's Chicken. Um, that's I, that's not that wasn't like a church joke. I generally enjoy Cane's Chicken at a very high level, at a high quantity. And uh, Susanna had Cane's Chicken, as I think, as just pastoral care. I think it's kind of her way of saying, like, you're working hard. We really love like what you're about. Here's fried chicken. Um, so I really enjoy this time of year because you can dive back in. So if you're not connected to the ministry, um, I, I really encourage you to do so. And there's other ministries that are starting back up that Jamin already announced. And, and I really do enjoy this time of year. But I want to be honest with you. One of the main reasons that I love this time of year is wholeheartedly sports. Right? So I think a lot of you, I've got this uh, notion, or I got this told to me by a few different people. So I'm not putting anyone on blast. But last week we talked about how God communicated. And that's really the, 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 the takeaway from the first two verses last week is that God spoke to us, His people, in love. He communicated us, and He, he sought us out, and He communicated with us through prophets, uh, through Christ, and through the Holy Spirit. That we serve a God that continually seeks us out. And one of the uh, object lessons that I shared last week is that me and my wife communicate a lot. An abundance of amount of communication happens through the cell phone because at the beginning of our, our marriage, we had very opposite schedules. And then now I have a very uh, fluid work schedule where I don't know when I'm leaving and when I'm coming home. So we have adapted our life around the fact that we're going to always communicate through text message, through um, uh, FaceTime, and, and, and through just phone calls. And we do that a lot. And um, I had a few people who came to me, a few, so I'm not fronting any one person out. But a few men of our church came and said, can't put me on blast, Pastor. Like, uh, my wife made me listen to your podcast. Or my wife, like, we got home and said, like, well... Somebody text their wife and let them know what they're doing. And I want you to know that I'm in no way on a on a uh, an ivory tower of marriage superiority. We are years away from writing a mar- marriage book. Um, and uh, only a few of y'all thought that was a joke. Some of you were like, "Okay, I guess we'll buy it because we have to." Uh, we're not. No, we have. We have all kinds of, of struggles that normal married people do. We work through them with the grace of Christ. And, but communication is, is vital. And I say all that to kind of circle back to, this is to, to put you on the real level of the round trees. One of the things that we communicated early on in our marriage was, uh, if you don't get away from the obsession you have with fall sports, which is football, um, we're going to have some issues. We're going to have some, and I will be the first one to tell you, it's, I'm, not bad, I'm not hating on sports, and uh, my, my wife doesn't hate on sports, but I was at an unhealthy level of, of fandom. Um, some would say it's an obsession, some say I was like driven, some would say that like I tied my emotional status to the plight of an 18-year-old being able to complete a pass, or an overpaid 23-year-old being able to run, uh, or pick up the blitz, and that like you could argue that some of my emotional happiness throughout the week was tied to a sport that I can't control. And some of those things aren't healthy. And I had a beautiful wife communicate with me, say like, hey, get away from this tie in your, your life um, and, and actually uh, actually enjoy, enjoy just the process of, of watching some of these sports and watching uh, some of this time of year. Because for me, this time of year, like I would count it down and just be like, hey, this is going to be great. I have like four fantasy football teams, two for money, two for just a check on the ones that I have for money, and then I'm just going to watch as much sports as I can, and then 
the, the fact that I know we serve a sovereign God, that he made me fall in love with a woman that literally could not care less about anything that keeps score. Anything that, uh, anything that has anything to do with touchdowns or field goals or any, really any sports. And uh, I wanted to put that out there, not for any other reason that I feel like this is a safe place and now you know more about me, but that I wasn't last week trying to put anyone on blast about how sweet my marriage is. We just communicate a lot and we serve a beautiful God who communicates a lot. So last week we dove into Hebrews and I don't know if you realized the theological waters we were diving into, but you may have a, a glimpse of it right now. Uh, we have some we have some waiting to do. There's going to be some beautiful time where we're going to have to just dive into really beautiful, thick, complicated scripture, and we're going to have to just have the Spirit guide us. That this isn't um, just coffee cup verses for the sake of coffee coffee cup verses, but this is foundational truths for our life. This is foundational truth. For the scriptures that we call uh, our faith. And um, it's okay for us to, to say this is a, a daunting task and to pray for spiritual uh, endurance. But I'm really excited to see what we're going to do and what, what the, how, the, how God's going to move and how the Spirit's going to move uh, in the next few months uh, where we just dive into Hebrews. Last week we saw that Hebrews is really a sermon. It's, it's a sermon written down um, by a, a preacher to a, a Christian Jewish congregation where he's trying to, uh, for, the, for the most part, just land on the supremacy of Jesus Christ. He's trying to say, whatever you believed post-Christ coming, dying on the cross and, and resurrecting, whatever you believed prior to that, whether it be Mosaic Law, whether it be paganism, whether it be Greek Orthodox, whatever you believed, nothing is superior to Christ. Christ is everything you need. He is, he is the Messiah. He is the promised, uh, anointed Christ. He is what God gave us for a story of redemption. Christ is, is the embodiment of God's redemption story. Jesus Christ's redemption work surpasses and replaces the old means of atonement. And that's really the, the focal point of Hebrews is when we say, yes, there were a time when Mosaic Law was, was, was worship and Mosaic Law was the complete uh, shadow of things to come. But now that Christ is here, He is superior. He is, he is the best. He is the final. He is the complete work of God's love. Christ bridges the gap between the Old Testament and the New Testament. There is a true and incomplete Old Testament and now there is a true and complete New Testament and all of that is done by the atoning blood of Jesus Christ. And we're going to land there and we're going to continue to land there. If you, if you have anything... Um against a repetitive sermon, you're not going to like Hebrews because the writer of Hebrews and the preacher of Hebrews is really going to land every week that Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme. Christ is supreme to Moses. Christ is supreme to angels. Christ is the most supreme high priest. You're going to time and time again say, I get it, I get it, I get it. And here's the thing, we don't get it and we need to hear it every Sunday. And the writer of Hebrews knew that and the, and the Spirit knows that when he works through Hebrews because every week we're going to come and there's going to be a battle for our heart on who's sits on the throne of our heart, and every week it should be Christ, but every week you're going to have to fight to keep Christ at the center of your life, and the writer of Hebrew knew, Hebrews knew that, and that's how we're going to preach, and that's how we're going to teach, and some of it's going to sound repetitive, and consistent theology is repetitive, where you say, we serve the one and true God, we serve a triune God who works all things to good in His time, in His way, 
through the salvation of Jesus Christ. This week, we're going to hit up some, some pretty large talking points. You're going to hear the phrases, radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God. He upholds the universe with his hands. He made purification for sin, and then he sat down. There's a lot of things that I wish we had months to work through that we're going to work through in the next 19 minutes, but we're still going to do it well. We're still going to do it with, with the guidance and the, and, the, and the grace of the Spirit. So if you would, stand up. Uh, the Scripture is going to be behind us. We're going to be Hebrews 1, 1 through 4. There should be a Bible close to you. You can read along with me. I'm going to read out loud. I'm already amped. Have me start reading. Long ago, many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the irradiance of glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purifications for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on, uh, majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited and more excellent than theirs. Amen. You may be seated. Let me pray over us and we're going to dive in. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the worship that we've, we've already embarked on. God, thank you for the scripture that we have. Thank you for the time um, that we've allotted just to come and bear all, to just bend our knees, to, to bend our hearts and just say, God, whatever you have for me, make it known and I will say yes. God, I pray that for the next few minutes when we dive into your scripture and we apply your scripture, that whatever would distract us, whatever that would take our mind or our time, that you would eradicate it, that you would, you would give us the gift of focus, the gift of intentionality, that the Spirit would come into this room and the Spirit would move. I pray all these things in your name. So he said last week, verses 1 and 2, really uh, surmised that God spoke, that he cared, that he loved. We talked about how if you don't communicate with someone, how are they ever going to know your intention, your love, or your, your, your desire for good things for them? And we, we have a God that sought us out in different ways, by different means, but he sought out the same redemptive story that ever since we sinned, human nature sinned, and were cast out of the Garden of Eden, we serve a God who is desperately getting us back, who he was Playing out the redemption story. He, he was willing to give his only son to get us back into the graces of God, to get us back into the loving fold of our Savior, and that he did that through Jesus Christ, and that Jesus Christ being the anointed Messiah is all that we will ever need. And the writer of Hebrews just doubles down on that today. We're going to talk about some beautiful things, and we're going to start off with the radiance of, glory, of the glory of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That is a beautiful sentence that pretty much means Jesus is the glory of God. He's the radiance. He's not the reflection, right? Radiance is a true translation. A lot of people think, well, Christ is just a reflection of God's love. That's not true. Christ is God's love. He's the radiance. He's the Shekinah glory. We see that all throughout Scripture when you see it in, in Acts or uh, when you see Paul or Saul becoming Paul, you see the glory of God come about him and make him blind. You see it uh, when Moses is on Mount Sinai and he comes back and his face is just glittering. You see it in Mark when you see this transfiguration of the, of the glory of God shown to humanity. You see all these different kinds of Shekinah glory. Shekinah glory means it is the essence of of God. Christ is not the moon and, and God is, is the sun and that Jesus is reflecting the, the, the glory of God. But Jesus is the glory of God. He's the exact 
imprint. We see that Shekinah glory be our hope, that we say we see what God is. And we talked about this in men's Bible study, that when we say he is the, he is the radiance of the glory of God, it's that we have a God that wants to be known to us. And there's no more intimacy in any relationship when one party of that relationship wants to be known. Right? The reason that marriage is hard, the reason that relationships are hard, is because one side, a lot of times, doesn't actually want to be known. He wants the, he wants the other party, he wants the, the husband or the wife to really just know the better version of him. I want you to know the better version of myself, so I'm going to put on a facade, I'm going to fake it, I'm going to, I'm going to manipulate, I'm going to lie, I'm going to do all these things because I don't want you to know the brokenness that is me. I want you to know the version of me that I want to actually exist. But what we see with God is Shekinah Glorious. He is beholding who He is to us because He wants us to know God. He wants us to know who God truly is. He wants us to know the glory that comes from Him and that is Jesus Christ. He is the exact imprint because He is a triune God. We believe that there is three aspects of God in one. We believe in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, but they are one. And don't get me wrong, we don't have the, the time on this earth to really break down the completeness of the triune God, but the triune God is something that can be understood, that we have a God that is three in one. We have a God that embodies uh, the, the, the creator, the sustainer, and the helper. We have, we have the triune God that sent down His Son, Jesus Christ, and, and is the identical substance of God. And He holds up the universe in, in its creation and its, its essence and who and what the earth is. We see in John 1.1 that in the beginning the Word was God and the Word was with God and the Word was God. You see that that is from the very beginning there is this triune love. There is this desire to be known and this desire to sustain hope and love. And we see that all throughout the, the radiance of God, the imprint of God, and how He holds up the universe. And then He quickly transitions to the purification of sin. He says, after making the purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And a lot of that, oh, that's cool. And he, we, we know that Jesus Christ died for our sin. That, that has been ingrained in us through uh, Sunday school, that has been ingrained in us through any kind of men and, women's, men and women's Bible study, that we serve a God who purified sin. But, but when, we, when we forget the importance or we forget the impact or what that means in our daily life, that we serve a God that, that embodied substitutionary atonement, which is a really fancy word you learn in college for the fact that Christ died for your sin. Christ purified sin that he did not commit. He is the once and for all high priest because he did what no other person, no other high priest no other, no other Levi could do. He came and died for the sin he did not commit because he knew that was the only way back to Eden. He knew that that was the only way that we would ever stand before God. Is that, that we would have a once and for all purification. We have a once and for all sacrifice that would atone for the sin of humanity. And we have a Christ. We have a Messiah. We have a Savior who... who bore our sin in, in that penal substitution, the fact that we owed a debt we could not pay, and he paid a debt he did not owe, that we may know the presence of God, that we may have the Spirit work in us. And lastly, he sat down at the right hand, because his work as Messiah, his work as a sacrificial lamb was complete. 
He did not lead. He did not do a, a, a 10-year sacrifice. He did not do a 20-year sacrifice. He said, once and for all, the need for a Savior is over. I have completed the sacrifice. I have completed your need for a sacrificial lamb. I am the once and for all sacrifice that will atone for all sin forever. Every sin ever committed was atoned for at one time on the cross of Christ. He died on that cross and rose again, conquering hell and the grave, and then sat down on his messianic throne by the right hand of God, waiting to rule over us in eternity. Okay, so that was a lot. I won't lie to you. I just, I, we, we just did encompass like, the entire Old and New Testament in about three minutes. I only breathed twice. I'm really sweaty. A lot of you have kind of glazed over. That's okay. I knew that there, there's a glazed over portion of the sermon. That was going to be it. But now we're going into application. It's fine. Like when I start with like, hey, Eden, and then I end with the cross of Calvary, and most of you are just going to like, all right, let's hold, hang on for the ride. There's no reason to take notes. Let's just see how quick Tim can talk. That's what that was. I wanted to set the stage. I want to say that we, we serve a God that's the we, we serve a, a God who, who radiates the glory of himself through Christ and wants to be known through Christ. He sent his only son, right? Comma. He is the exact imprint. We serve a triune God, and he upholds everything that we know. He is the creator and the sustainer. Comma. He purified sin. He died on the cross for your sin. Comma. And he sat down because it's complete. That was pretty much it. I probably could have just done that, and we could have moved on. We could have saved time. I'm not supposed to amen that. That was me saying, next time I'll do it better. Amen. <laughs> there are some drawbacks to having a lead, lead pastor that's 32. He will get more efficient. So, so we're in deep waters, right? Like, I'm not pretending that any of this is just like, a, hey, you get it now? You know, the exact imprint of a triune God? Go home. You're good. We're in deep waters, but that's a good place to be because we're desiring the knowledge of our faith. And you're going to hear this a lot from me. I never want you to have the knowledge for knowledge's sake. I, I, I'm, I'm fine with you going uh, to a coffee shop uh, or, or a bar with your ESV Bible, studying and just debating Scripture and theology. I'm fine with that. I think that's beautiful. I think it's, it's always important to, to, to yearn for more knowledge about your faith. But that's not what I'm preaching to you about today. And I'm never going to be about knowledge for the sake of knowledge. I want to, to, to embolden you with biblical truth so you proclaim biblical truth. I don't want you to have a talking point at a, at a really uh, academic engagement at a coffee house. I want you to have, proclaim truth Monday morning when you have a friend that needs Jesus and you know how to get it to him. I want the, the things that we cover in this room to embolden you about what you believe because I personally believe anyone who is, understands and is emboldened of their walk with Christ will profess their walk with Christ. When you understand what Christ did for you, you can't keep your mouth shut about it. And transversely, if you can keep your mouth shut, it's because you don't understand what Jesus Christ did for you. And I know that is, that's pretty simple, right? That's, that's, that's overly simplistic and pretty blunt. That says either you talk about Christ because you understand Him, or you don't talk about Christ because you don't understand Him. And a lot of you can say, no, I completely understand. He died on the cross. I'm just not talking about Him. And then I would say, then you don't understand He died on the cross for you. Because we, we have seen in Scripture time and time again that if you know, the rocks cry out. And our whole job on this earth is to make sure the rocks never have to cry out because we don't shut up about it. And there's so many things we're willing to talk about. And my hope is that through understanding the, 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 the message of the radiance of God, of the Shekinah glory, or the purification of sin, or the fact that we have a Savior that sat down because it's complete, we embolden us to constantly 
profess the, the gospel of Christ. Constantly talk about Jesus. Constantly talk about our church. Constantly tell our kids uh, what's in store for them in, in their walk of Christ. That we, that we pray over our kids and that we live a life that points our kids to the cross because that's what we're all about. We don't have church friends and work friends. We just have people we're trying to reach for the gospel of Christ. That's my, that's my, that's my utmost desire for this room. And I'm going to hurry up because I've been rambling about sports and communication. But here's the thing. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. That's a quote for A.W. Tozer. I'm going to say it again. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He wants you to know God. Because if you truly know God, that's going to embolden your life. What you think about when you think about God defines you. If He's just this thing that you worship on Sundays, if He's this like cosmic Zeus that has a lightning bolt and can control a few things, if He's all-powerful, if He's just this, this, this demigod who's watching the earth like an ant farm, whatever you decide God is to you defines you. And what we see in Hebrews is He kind of breaks... Christ, he kind of breaks God into to three parts. The, the prophet, the priest, and the king. So the prophet is how God spoke through Christ. That, that Christ professed the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. The kingdom of heaven is here. You see that God be, Christ is the walking embodiment of, of prophecy. He, he fulfilled all prophecy. All messianic promises were fulfilled through Christ. And then he professed what the gospel of Christ would look like, how we should live our life, and how one day this thing will end. Then you see him as the priest. He's the great high priest. He made purification for sins. The only job of a priest and through Old Testament and Mosaic law was to kill animals and on behalf of the nation of Israel sacrifice animals saying we are sorry for our sin. We are proving that we are sorry for our sin because the blood of these animals are never stopping. And then we see him as king. He sat down on his throne. He sat down and said, my work, my, my, my redemptive work as your Savior is done. It is complete. And now I'm sitting down in, in an act of rule and completion. And we only see Christ rightly when we see Him through that redemptive work. We only see Him through uh, God's revelation, through triterian God, uh, uh, triune God. That is how we have to see God. And you have to see God right before you can understand God. So I know we're moving and we're, we're going through some deep waters, but the reason I say what you think of when you think of God is the most important thing about you is because the writer of Hebrews knows this is who God is. I have to impact it to my congregation, and then I have to have... I have to have them see God rightly before they can apply Him as Savior, as God, as King, as prophet, priest, and King. Christ Jesus sat down, and that's where I want us to land today. That's where I want us to close up, is I know we, we've, we have dove into really deep, beautiful theological waters that I hope that you talk to at length in your family groups and with your home. But where I want you to walk away today with is, you have a Savior who sat down because what He did for you is complete. We see in John 19.30, Christ on the cross yells, it is finished. He sat down at the right hand of God. Um, and now uh, he, he, he owns the throne of our heart. He owns the throne of this dominion. And he owns the throne of this world. But it's important to see that no other priest ever sat down because his work was never complete. Right? So Old Testament priests used to have bells on uh, their garments because you, they wanted to be able to hear them moving around, uh, partly because it was a reminder that like the, the work of a Levitical priest is never done because they are not the one true high priest. 
they are a stopgap till the one true high priest comes. That their work will never end because they are a shadow of what is to come. And the shadow that is to come is Christ and his work will be complete. But another reason they had bells on their garments is because if they were not right, if they were not uh, in, aton- in a proper atonement to God, that if they went into the high priest, they went to the holy of holies to sacrifice, God would strike them dead. And it's a reminder that, that any priest before God was human, so before he could even sacrifice for your sin, he had to sacrifice for his sin, and then he had to always be working. He had to always be clothing, always be moving. He had to kill, kill, kill. The blood of the animals ran in the street as a, sim- as a symbol that the work would never be done until we saw Christ Jesus finally come die on the cross, and, and rise again. And, and the blood continued to run. And I know it's easy for us to say all these things, and it's easy for us to say these beautiful theological statements that really make us have hope, but the reality is if you don't actually believe them and ingrain them in your heart, all this is is a romantic passage. If you don't actually believe that he sat down because it's complete, then this will never actually give you hope. And there's nothing more hopeful than knowing that your Savior died for your sins and is sitting down because the the sin nature that needed atonement has been atoned for. And it's so easy to forget that. It's so easy for us to live our lives hopeless because of the brokenness we feel. Because we don't actually think He sat down. Or that we think He sat down, but He couldn't have possibly sat down for my sin because it's so bad. It's so dark. It's so broken. It may not feel complete at times. Like, I, I know it's complete, you know it's complete, the Bible says it's complete, but it's okay in your brain and in humanity to understand that sometimes it's not going to feel complete. Sometimes it's not going to feel like it's in control. There's going to be days that are devastating. There's going to be there's gonna be seasons of life that it doesn't feel like Christ is seated at the, th- seated at the throne. It doesn't feel like His work is complete. And I want you to know that's lies. That's Satan. That's Satan trying to get in your head to think there's more work to come. But the work has already been completed. He's already retroactively saved you from every sin you've ever committed, every sin that was ever committed. All we have to do is go to His throne and call Him Savior. All we have to do is call Christ our King. And in this day and age, uh, we see... We see travesty after travesty, and I don't know if this world is actually even more broken than it's ever been, or the fact that just social media highlights it every day, but it is easy for us to turn on the TV or turn on social media and realize, man, it doesn't feel like he's sitting on this throne. It doesn't feel like this thing is complete, but I promise you, the hope and the truth that Christ reigns is absolutely true. It's absolutely supreme. Christ is superior superior to anything that we could walk through. And the fact that He is sitting should hold us tight to the anchor that is our hope and that is our realization that we serve the once and forever Messiah and King. I want to pray over us today. I know we've, we've done a lot, but I, I pray that we... We dive into these truths, understanding that they will reign over us. They will get in our marrow. They will get in, in our bones, and they will sustain us for life. That we serve a Christ and a King and a Prophet and, and a Savior. God, thank you for today. Thank you for the time we have just to dive in to Your Word for Your ways and for Your glory. God, I pray that who You are would radiate with us. God, I pray that we would we would see you for your creator, your sustainer, and your savior. God, I pray that when our days look dark and our seasons look bleak, 
that we would we would hold fast to the to the fact to the biblical truth that you are seated on your throne and that your work is complete. God, I pray all things in your name. Amen.